dear Heavenly Father, God, again, we, God, we, we, we pray that you would keep us focused on you. Lord, I pray that you would do some inner work today. We think of what David says in another psalm than the one we'll be looking at today, but God, we pray that, that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart will be acceptable in your sight, my Lord, my strength, and my Redeemer. God, I pray that more than just, and Lord, we're raising our hands and we're worshiping you and, and we're, we're praising you with our lips, God. And we want to never cease from doing that. And we know that we'll do that for all eternity. But God, we want you to do a work inside too. That this would be more than just outside. Just talk, just movements, but this would be springing forth from our inner man, our inner self, God. So may the words of our mouth, meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, fill us now with your Holy Spirit. Give us a spirit of wisdom and understanding. God, pray that you would change our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, so good morning again. Good morning, we're going to be talking about praise and worship. It, what, why does the church do this? Does that, anyone ever wonder, why do we do this? Why do we decide on Sunday mornings, we're going to get together, we're going to sing some songs, we're going to read the Bible, and we're going to go home? Is this just because this is what we like to do? We think this would be fun, it's good for people to sing, it's good to go get out, socialize, see our friends. It's a good, it's a good social idea to do this. We do this whether you know, realize it or not, because this is our very purpose. Worship and praise. If, if we were to quote the Westminster Confession, it would say that the chief end of man and woman, the chief end of humankind, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The worship and praise that, that you, the very reason that you exist, whether you understand it or not, is to worship God. If we bring it a little more forward into our time, John Piper, a pastor, said about the mission of the church, or about the purpose of the church. And we are a missional church, and I love it, and I love those that go do UK ministries, and I love those that are sharing the gospel with their friends and the neighbors. But John Piper says that missions and evangelism is not the purpose of the church. And this is why. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions and evangelism and discipleship exists because worship doesn't. So, so we evangelize and we share the gospel and we disciple because there are spaces yet where God is not receiving the worship that is due him. So missions, we go out there, we tell them about Jesus because Jesus deserves their worship. We love them, we want to see them be set free, we want to see them in heaven with us, but ultimately we know Jesus deserves your worship, so I'm going to come and tell you about his greatness and his gift and what he's done for you. We're not trying to, to, to buy them into your best life now or 
you know, or you know, just some fun, easy time, or just because we want them to vote like we do or be in our club, but we know your purpose is to worship Jesus. I want to see that come to fruition in you, so let me tell you about him and what he has done. It's our very purpose, and we know that, but we don't always feel that, don't we? Has anyone ever not felt like worshiping? Raise your hands. Be totally honest. Almost everyone but Ryan. <laughs> and that's why he's a worship leader. <laughs> Did you know that there was a famous worship leader, probably one of the most famous worship leaders ever to live by the name of David, who even himself admitted I don't always feel it. And I'm not just talking about emotions. I'm talking about like the desires of your heart. Maybe some, somebody walked in here. The desires of your heart are anything but worship. Maybe the desires of your heart is to get the girl. If I show up at church, I'll get the girl. Or to, to make my parents think that I'm doing okay. But even David will admit that the desires of his heart are not always on worshiping God. Turn with me to Psalm 103. The book of Psalms, as you turn, this is the prayer hymn book for Israel. This is God's people. David wrote many, not all, but many, that these were David's worship songs that were, he'll often say, give this to the choir master, because this was for God's people to read generation after generation. They would read it, they would sing it, that this was supposed to be, these are their songs. And the beauty of the Psalms is you will find the whole expression of human emotion. There will be times that, that David will say, God, you have abandoned me. How long will you leave me? God, my, my enemy advances over me. God, I'm losing. God, I don't see you. But then he turns his heart and says, but I will hope again in the Lord. So, you know, the perfect worship book for you is the book of Psalms. Because it can give words. When you don't know how to make sense of what you're feeling, the book of Psalms can give words to that. And use this as an active worship and lament to the Lord. Psalm 103 is one of those psalms where David is admitting, I don't, I don't totally have that desire or feeling. This is what he says. I'm going to read it all the way through and then we'll break it down. That's what we'll do. My soul, bless the Lord. All that is within me, bless his holy name. My soul, bless the Lord and do not forget all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion he satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all of the oppressed. He revealed his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. 
He has not dealt with us as our sin deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower of the field. When the wind passes over it, it vanishes, and its place is no longer known. But from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love is toward those who fear him, and his righteousness towards the grandchildren of those who keep his covenant, who remember to observe his precepts. The Lord has established his throne and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, all his angels of great strength who do his word, obedient to his command. Bless the Lord, all his armies, his servants who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all the places where he rules. My soul, bless the Lord. You're dismissed. <laughs> Nuff said. Maybe we'll take a minute. There are several sermons in here, but we're going to take a broad overview. There is several songs in there. The best worship songs look a lot like the Psalms. We're going to be looking at three overarching reasons that we can give to our hearts to stir ourselves back and our desires to worshiping the Lord. There, there, there are innumerable amounts. Number one is God is just worthy of it and do it. We, we, any, just because he's worthy. But David gives himself some practical reasons. David starts by telling himself, my soul, bless the Lord. Does anyone else have something that doesn't say bless? Who has praise? praise. I need to switch. I, I preach out of the CSB. I hope that's okay. Praise, bless, yes. The Hebrew is the word to kneel. So he's saying, my soul, kneel, adore the Lord. See, the Bible gives us many appropriate, not mandated, not commanded. Sorry to use the word mandate. Not, not, this is not mandated or commanded, but the Bible does give appropriate physical demonstrations of worship. I know we're all from different background traditions, but the Bible does outline some appropriate, not commanded, but appropriate demonstrations physically of worship. Psalm 63, 4 says, So I will bless the Lord as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. Lamentations 3:41 says, Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven. Ezra 9, 5 says, At the evening sacrifice I rose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak torn. I fell on my knees. And I spread out my hands to the Lord my God. 
Nehemiah 8 says, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads, and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. New Testament, 1 Timothy 2.8 says, I desire that in every place that men should pray lifting holy hands without anger. So holy hands, not holy fit, not fists. Without anger or quarreling. Luke 5.12 says, While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. 1 Kings 8.54 says, Now as Solomon finished offering all his prayer and plea to the Lord, he rose from the altar before the Lord, where he knelt with his hands outstretched toward heaven. Genesis 24.52 said, When Abraham's servants heard the word, he bowed himself before the Lord to the earth. In Matthew 2.11, little throwback to Christmas, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Those are the physical demonstrations. They're appropriate. They're beautiful. God loves them. Not commanded. God loves you if you worship with or without those. Because David is saying, I want it to be more than just out here, but I want it to be in here. This is the same David that I wouldn't recommend the naked part, but that when they brought in the Ark of the Covenant, I, I can demonstrate, but I, you'll probably never ask me. Josiah's saying, no, I won't do it. But he danced before the Ark of the Covenant. This is the same David that we've seen these incredible displays of worship. He, even he is saying, God, my heart, my soul, all that, that's within me. I don't have it right now. So, so David... He's saying that, this, the raising my hands, the kneeling face before my Lord, that's got to happen in my innermost being, my soul. He says, bless the Lord, kneel, kneel and adore before the Lord, not just outwardly, but in my soul, all that is within me. What does that mean? All that's within me, my intellect, my will, and my emotion. So not just my emotions, not just, some of us, I think, some of us show here only with our intellect. Emotions don't matter. And we know that emotions cannot be king. Emotions cannot lead. But the Lord wants all of you, even your emotions. He, David's saying, all that's within me, my intellect, my will, my emotions, not just my head, not just my desires, but my heart, but not just my desires, but also my head. Does that make sense? All of you. This is where Jesus would come and say that, that God's will, God's command for you, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. So David's saying, I want my intellect, I want my will or my desires, the command center for my decisions, and my emotions, all of them to bow at, at the feet of King Jesus. I want them all to be bowed before God and adore him. And now David's going to give himself 
three things about the Lord that will get his inmost self there. You see, David's kind of taking his own soul and counseling him and commanding. He's saying, to, commanding and counseling to himself, kneel before the Lord within you, adore him from within. And bless his name. Kneel before his name and adore his name. I I do want to discuss that. So I'm kneeling before the Lord in my heart. And and my intellect, my my will, and my emotions are all kneeled and bowed before him. As the deepest part of who I am. And his name. When we say we praise the name of God. Name held the weight of someone's authority and reputation. So when we bless the name, and and even when we say, in Jesus' name we pray, we're saying everything that we've prayed based on his authority and his reputation. It's not a magic formula. It's just as much for you to know everything I've said goes before the throne of God simply and completely because of his authority, his reputation. I can get into the inner core of the, of the throne of God because of Jesus' authority and reputation. There, there's another psalm, Psalm 22. One says, a good name is more desirable than great riches. Favor is better than silver or gold. So it's, it's that the reputation, the authority, the character of the person. So we, we praise God simply for his authority and reputation and character because of who he is, what he can do, and what he has done. We praise him. We, we, all that's within us adores that about him. Now let's look at a few specific things. The first one is God is forgiver. God is a forgiver. God is forgiving. That's where David starts. He says... Forget not all his benefits. This is David's way of saying, throughout the whole psalm, you could even write it for yourself. Remember again. Remember again what God has done for you. Forget not all his benefits, all the things that the Lord has done for you. The Lord, just in who he is, is worthy to be worshipped, but he's also giving you personally many reasons to worship him. Iniquity. gives all your iniquity. Even just that is enough to praise him forever. Charles Spurgeon, who is called the Prince of Preachers, I'm the Jester of Preachers. Wayne's the Joker of Preachers. (laughs) Or those are one of the same. Charles Spurgeon said this about, about Psalm 103. We should attribute this psalm to his later years, when he had a higher sense of the preciousness of pardon because of a keener sense of sin than in his younger days. His clear sense of the frailty of life indicates his weaker years, as also does the very fullness of his praiseful gratitude. So, so Spurgeon is convinced this is later in life because David has a greater understanding of his sin. The older I get, 
the more I'm aware that I am a broken individual. And apart from Christ, I don't make great decisions. But he has forgiven all of my sins. Think about David. Does anyone know what David has done? Besides the naked thing, that actually wasn't even considered a sin. God was cool with that. But David took another man's wife, Bathsheba, using his kingly authority, said, I want that woman, bring her here, gets her pregnant, and then to, to cover the whole thing up, after well, her husband comes home, he tries to get him trashed, so that'll go sleep with his wife, and he won't go, he just wants to stay by the king, and he, he wants to go back out to war because he was faithful and had integrity. And so because David couldn't cover this up, he has the men killed, murdered. This was the king's assassination plot on Uriah. David is acutely aware of his sin, and that sin continues on through him and his kids and his family. You ever, it, has anyone ever felt, hey, my family's a mess? <laughs> Have you read the Bible? These are some messy people. These are some like, they are messy people. A lot of churches would say there's no way that David will ever be our worship leader because the boy's a mess. But he's saying, I should praise God because I know that I committed awful sin. I am broken, but God forgives me. That means it's pattern. You, you, you are example for your kids, and they'll, whatever you do, they'll do in excess. You praise the Lord, they'll praise. Well, not, not, that's not a promise. That's not a promise. But that's not where we're going. Stop it. <laughs> David sinned. David was aware of his sin, but that will lead him to greater joy. Because God forgave all of it. David recognized that God didn't just forgive his sins years ago, but God gave it, forgave his sins today. God didn't just forgive your sins a year ago. God forgave your sins this morning. Because of Jesus, God has forgiven past, present, and future. If you believe in Jesus, if you are his people in covenant with God, past, present, and future... Your sins are forgiven. If that's not, an, that is a big F. That's not, an, I don't know what would be. Again, here, let's pack it up. We can be done. If it doesn't draw you to worship, I don't think you yet have an understanding of how deeply broken you are. And I only say that out of, out of a place of love. I know that I'm broken and that I lose my cool, and that I'm selfish, and that I do things so that people will like me, or I'll do things for applause, or I'll do things because it's easy and comfortable, and I'll get my way. We all do this. You might be thinking, well, I never commanded my soldiers to let another guy die, but you have lost your temper with your kids. You have experienced greed. All of us have hearts that are idol factories. I think it was Kelvin. Kelvin? 
that our hearts are just because of the fall, because of what Adam and Eve have done. Now that's genetics. Now we are all biologically broken and we are predisposed to having hearts that make idols. We all have idols. And because of that, the, the bad news before the good news is because of our sin, we are worthy of God's condemnation. But instead, because of Christ, he forgives us. We'll talk about forgiveness again, so let's shoot down the list. Here are the, the benefits of God. He forgives all of your sins, heals all your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, which the pit is a reference to Sheol, which is the grave death. This same word is also used in regards to an animal that is to be trapped. Like if we were, if we were encamped and we wanted to trap a lion, we would make a pit. For you, that sin is both your death and your trap. And God has reached in and drawn you out. Stop falling back into it. But you know what? You could, you could fall in a million times and he'll pick you out a million and one. He will never stop pulling you out of the pit. We're going to get there in Romans, so I don't mean to steal. But in Romans chapter 6, it tells us that we are both slaves to sin and dead in sins. But God pulls us out. God pulls us out of our sins and doesn't hold it against us. We could feel, man, I'm such an idiot. I fell into the pit again. And he'll continue to love you and forgive you. We think of David, or we think of Jesus. He was at uh, a member of, the, he was at a Pharisee's house. Pharisee religious leaders, at least the ones we see in scripture, not the best guys. Not saying that about all Pharisees, but the, the men that Jesus comes up against, the Pharisees, who are these the ones that have scripture memorized, they're super outwardly faithful, but their hearts are far from him. Which, that's, that's the, that is the, the rap that we have in America. There are Christians who are outwardly appearing faithful, their hearts are far, so we have a bad rap. But we do know that even if every Christian was perfect, we would still have a bad rap, so I digress. Jesus is in the house of a Pharisee, and in walks, just like you would love to have at any fancy dinner party, a prostitute comes in. And the prostitute, because Jesus has forgiven her, comes in, washes Jesus' feet with her tears and with her hair. And Jesus, being God, knew what was going on in the heart of the Pharisee. The Pharisee's thinking, who is, this can't be a holy man. He's letting that woman touch him. And what does Jesus tell her? Well, she was giving more honor than the Pharisee did. It was custom that you would wash the feet of your guests. The Pharisee didn't do that. So this prostitute thought Jesus was worthy of that honor. So she uses her tears and her hair. And Jesus tells him that the one who is forgiven much loves much. The one who is forgiven little loves little. David has this understanding 
I've been forgiven much. I, I don't want anyone to live in guilt or shame, but don't be afraid to acknowledge how much you are in need of his grace. Because this, I, I'm not saying that so we'll all be super sad and downcast and depressed. I, I'm saying that to raise your hearts higher that as far as your, and this is also going to be in Romans. I didn't mean to do this. We're taking a break from Romans. But Paul will say that where sin abounds, grace superabounds. So as far as your sins go, God's grace goes further. That should lead you to praise. That should lead you to praise. And this is why we, ha- we, we cannot minimize our sin and our brokenness when we preach because Man, that's, that's one of the reasons why he's worthy to praise because of how much he's forgiven. But don't let that be an excuse. Oh, he'll forgive me anyway. But think, because he's forgiven me, I want to do better. I want to live for him. Amen. So, so this, we could, we could encapsulate all of these benefits as God has and is and will forgive, repair, and restore. He, he, he's forgiving. There, there are times that he's giving you energy and he's healing you, miraculous even maybe, or medically even maybe. And there will be a time where you will be completely healed. Your life was taken out of Sheol. You will not know destruction after you die. You'll, you'll not, there, there are some that are going to eternal destruction. But you, if you believe in Jesus, if your allegiance is with him, you'll be going to eternal life. Not because you got your act together, not because you figured it out, but simply because Jesus gave his life to pull you from the pit. See, Psalm 103, especially this first section, the forget not is all his benefits. He's redeemed your life from the pit. This is echoed in, in Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul will say, Blessed, notice the parallel, is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. Forget not all his benefits. He has chosen you, predestined you to be adopted with full rights as his children, forgiven all your sins. Heals you and will completely heal you even from the sin. Your sins are forgiven now. There will be a day where your sins will be no more. Why not praise him 
and worship him. Verse 6, the next section. So we have Lord is forgiving. Next, the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. The Lord execute acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He revealed his, will, his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love. David, this is another remember again, pointing himself back to Moses and the people of Israel. Right now, I am reading a biography on the 16th president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln. And it is inspiring and interesting. And I think any, anyone studying history, you can be inspired, inspired, inspired. And maybe you're perspiring because it's a big book. And you can be interested. But David is doing something different. See, David isn't just pointing them back to history to you know, kind of get them excited. But David is pointing them back to that same God who acted in history is in my life now. So he's saying, remember what God did with Moses because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just as he was faithful with Moses, he'll be faithful with me and with all of God's people. I praise him. He's faithful with me, faithful with God's people. I'm going to remember again what he has done. We've observed before, but God set up all of the festivals of Israel to remind them of what he has done. Remember what I did when I led you out of slavery and into the promised land. David's telling himself, remember what God has done because he's the same one and he can do it again. We have the same God. Studying the Bible, we just finished our How to Study the Bible series. Joke's on you. This is part five, if you went. Just a mini part. Studying the Bible is not making our Bible fit into our story but realizing that our lives are a part of the story of the Bible because that same God is active. So you're not going to the Bible to say, well, how could this fit into my life? But how does my life fit into this? Does that make sense? Because it's a world of difference. Because instead of you saying, well, how could I be more like Moses? How could this fit? Or I don't know if I understand everything it's saying or it seems to disagree with some of my thoughts and my ways and some things that I know to be true. Instead, you say, how do I come into conformity with this? You're not making the Bible conform to your life or modern conventions or modern sciences, but how can you make yourself fit into this story? You don't have to figure out how to be David. You don't have to figure out how to be Moses. All you have to do is realize you have that same God who's faithful and loves you. This story of Moses, and God is, he, he's compassionate and faithful to the oppressed. God saw Israel in slavery. He heard their cries. And so he, and acting through Moses, who was also a murderer, by the way, God kind, kind of loves to use those guys. 
Not saying do it so that you can be used by the Lord. You can take a detour around that. But God took a murderer named Moses, who Moses, he thought he was enacting justice. There was, there was a guard that was being harsh to a slave, so he killed him because he thought that was the just thing to do, though it wasn't. Through Moses and Aaron and Miriam, God, while enacting 10 plagues, which were each an indictment against the false gods of Egypt, let his people out. They were enslaved under harsh working conditions, and God loved them and called them out. So David's saying, remember that God. Remember that, that same God who is faithful and covenanted with them and promised his, his hesed, his loyal love to them. You have the same God. When you are reading through the Bible, okay, it's what? It's, it's February 20th. Is anyone still doing their New Year's resolutions? Yeah, go Mary. Some people have a reading through the Bible resolution. Hopefully by now you've gotten to this story of Moses. When you're reading it, see God. You might not be living in that time frame. You might not be that culture but that's the same God. Does that make it's the same faithful God? That's what David's pointing his heart back to. And this same faithful God that enact justice for Moses is still a just God. And that same God who was compassionate and gracious is still compassionate and gracious for you. Slow to anger, abounding in Hesed. Faithful covenant love and mercy for you. Now, the Lord is just against sin. But we praise him that he is slow to anger. I, I know we all have our own family members that you're thankful God is slow to anger because it's like, like Joel will say, that he needs to grab onto a pole so that he's not struck by lightning with them. But he, he's slow to anger and he's forgiving. God delights in seeing a sinner saved more than he delights in condemnation. God would wish that all would come to the knowledge of the truth and not that any would perish, but that all would be saved. God is loving and forgiving. Yes, because of his holiness, God has to address sin. And Pastor Wayne, I think you said it perfectly in your sermon about God's wrath, that God, we want God to have wrath because if he doesn't have wrath, he doesn't have love. I know we all, we see world events like Ukraine or like what is happening with the Chinese government. And I'm not getting political but we, we all see these things and we're like, come on, someone's got to do something. There has to be justice worked. You cannot have any desire for justice if you do not first have love. We just don't like when God is just against our evils and wrongs. You just want it to be against theirs. But if it's against ours, and that's, uh, Wayne preached that wonderfully. We love, but because God is loving, he's also just. And because he's holy, He's just. And I like to say not that God cannot dwell with sin, which is true, but think about it that sin cannot dwell with God. 
that, that, that your sin will, will keep you. You it cannot dwell with God. So God chooses to take that sin, remove it. In his sight, you are sinless. And if you've trusted in Christ, he has taken that sin and completely removed it. We're told that he has taken our sins and removed it as far as the east is from the west. You know how far they are apart from each other? Infinitely. So when he looks at you, your sins are infinitely separated from you because they were paid for by Jesus. Infinitely separated. East-west. So as, as far as the, gal- or the universe, beyond the galaxy, as far and beyond the knowable universe, your sins are removed from you. God only sees his child and his creation. And this is how much he loves you. As high as the heavens are above. Does anyone know how far that is? Infinitely. So in this direction and in this direction, infinitely, he loves you. Who knew that God was saying to David, I love you bigger than the universe? David had no grasp on the bigness of the universe. But God loves you beyond the universe. God loves you, if any Marvel fans, even more than 3,000. God loves you infinitely beyond the bigness of the universe. David also says that God has compassion like a father. Any KJVers? It's not a test. It's okay if you are. We won't stone you. And we won't stone you if you don't have it. The KJV would say pity. And some translations say tender compassion. This word here is used. It's just like it, it could be used of a nursing mother. Or, it, or here it's used of, as a father of their small child. It's like that, I, I just love you. When you see your small child and they're so weak that they can barely wobble their head up, the, you know, the babies, that you, you just love them. All they do is eat and cry and poop. But like you have this, I love you. This, I, I just, I adore you just because you are. I, I love you. Do you know that God has that for you? Now that we have spent all the time on forgiveness and that's important, he just loves you. Because you have now been born again and you are his child, when he sees you, even when it looks like you are barely crawling, I remember when Nolan first started walking after being bedbound for his first year. All he had to do was take a few wobbly steps. And it's like, wow, I, you're, I'm so happy and elated because my child is walking. So even if all you're doing is crawling in here, God is like, I love you. I love you. It says because he remembers God made us. He knows what we are made of. Or some translations will say he knows our formation. God made us from dust. 
God knit you together in your mother's womb and he knit that child together in, her, in your grandmother's womb and all the way back to Adam, we were formed from the dust. God remembers that we are, at any minute we could fall apart. God remembers, I made you. I formed you. I breathed my life into you. I love you. I made you. You're fragile, and you are prone to crumbling. But I, I love you. I love you. That's how much God cares for you. Doesn't that draw your heart out into worship? If you have only heard the sin part and not heard, but he's forgiven you and now sees you as his child, you won't be drawn into worship. You'll either be drawn into condemnation or drawn into, I don't care what you say, get away from me. But hear both that you have sinned against God and you are deserving of his justice, but also he loves you. Because of Jesus, he has forgiven you and adores you. What better reason to worship him? Finally, God is forever. God is, so he's forgiving, he's faithful, he is forever. As for man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower of the field. When the wind passes over, it vanishes. Can we talk just for a second about the wind this weekend? Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Trash all over my yard. And I had to go out there in my shorts and my coat and pick it up because I didn't want to go put pants on. <laughs> there were shorts, just so we're clear. I wasn't doing some David stuff out there, dancing naked while picking up trash. And I did have a coat on. But that, that wind was crazy. That wind, we, we read that there, you could have these most beautiful flowers demolished. Demolished. Or our winter, the grass, the flowers, demolished. We read that our life is, is temporary. No matter how beautiful or magnificent, strong enough wind, an uncareful enough landscaping guy, or if we want to get warmer, has anyone else left a pool, a kiddie pool in your yard? Grass toast, scorched. That's your life. Your, your life is temporary. But you know what's not? God has, though he has made you and your life on earth temporary and fragile and prone to decay, God, we, we are told in Ecclesiastes, he's made everything beautiful in its time. He has set eternity in the human heart. So though you are temporary, God has placed this capacity for eternal, infinite things in you. This is why there will never be enough money. There will never be enough sex. There will never be enough popularity. There will never be enough cookie dough Oreo. There, there, will, never be, there will never be enough. I didn't mean to joke because I am being serious. There will never be enough to satisfy you. Why? Because your heart was hollowed out for eternal things, for infinite things. 
And that's why we're always, maybe if I can come up, okay, fine, I'll come up with philosophy or, or I'll adore uh, whatever, maybe it's something of science. There's got to be something. And, now, and people, that's why they're turning to, well, I just got to love the universe because maybe that'll be big enough to fit it. The only thing big enough and eternal enough is God. Amen. And you, were, you were hollowed out for that. But instead, we, we try to take these tiny little things that maybe if I got a Tesla or maybe if I got the dream job, That'll fit it, but it won't. When God says he satisfies you with good things, he means himself, his presence. That's the only thing that can satisfy. But this is good news. Because whereas, did you know right now, we're not going to get any avocados? I love me some avocados, won't get them. That's what I heard. There's the issues in Mexico. We're not going to get some avocados. So hipsters, no avocado toast. Gone. Your avocados are toast. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you might not be able to afford the Tesla. We might run out of money. But you know what can never be taken from you and will always be given to you more and more and more is God and his presence. That, that can't, everything can be taken. They can take your family. You can lose your friends, you can lose your job, but God cannot be taken from you. Jesus would say, you're in my hand, I'm in the Father's hand, no one can snatch you, not even yourself. And you have him. Your heart is hollowed out for this desire, and you have him. And he's e e eternal. He's forever. At the other day, Jax, my seven-year-old, told me, he said, Daddy, do you know why I need to listen to you? I was just like, you know, you, kid, kids say the darndest things. They really do. So I just waited, and he said, I'm seven. You're 28. So you know more than I do. So I need to listen to you. And I was like, yes. I'm also your dad. Like, I'm also, <laughs> like, you're supposed to because I'm your dad. But, and I was just thinking, like, I mean, yeah. And I think that's, and I'm, I'm so thankful because I think that's lost. That people that are older than us, they're due some respect and understanding because they are farther down this road of life than you are. Not saying everybody, but there are people that, you know, you're older than me. You've been through my... Listen, I, I want to know how, how you got to that side. Listen to your mama. Okay, now think, I'm 28, he's seven. Now what's the gap between 28 and eternal? God is eternal forever. God's not really, 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 really old. He's eternal. He created knowledge and wisdom. So if Jax understands just this 21-year gap between me and him, how much more should he be due my honor and respect because he's eternal? And the second reason, because he's my daddy. Amen. So he, he is doing it. This, this God, who is my father, like the Lord's Prayer, our father is also our, in heaven and has a kingdom. We read together, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. You're not only your father, but he's a king. And he is delighted to bring you into his family.
when this life is over, because he has forgiven and because he's faithful and because he's forever, God will go on loving you. Though your life is temporary, if you know him and if you are his, it says if you fear him, his faithful love will be with you generation after generation. Every time we talk about fearing the Lord, I have to tell you, this isn't fearing an abusive father or an abusive spouse. This is deep awe and reverence because you've seen how big he is. He's massive. You're not afraid because he's unpredictable. He might love you today, love you, and hate you tomorrow. But because he is faithful, he's eternal, he's infinite. He has the capacity to love me greater than anyone else can love me because he's those things. I have deep awe and reverence for him. If you love him, you have awe and reverence for him, you were one of those that his love will continue for you far after you're gone. And guess what? He has enough love for your kids and for your grandkids and for your great-grandkids and for your great-great-great-grandkids. God's love is forever. God's faithfulness is forever. His forgiveness is forever. He has enough power and love for me and my family, and every generation after. What? He's so worthy. So worthy. Everyone in this life, they might be faithful and loving to you for a season, but no one will love you forever. No one will love you forever. People will disappoint you. People will break your heart. You will have friends who were close that you thought you could trust. They'll break it. But God is consistent. God is always consistent. You never have to wonder how he feels about you. You never have to wonder what he will do with you after your soul leaves this earth. Because what he will do with you is he will love you. And he will see your sins as infinitely removed from you. So David ends this all with the call. He said, bless the Lord, all his, his angels, his armies, his servants. Think of this as David's encapsulating everyone. Everything, everyone, everywhere, praise the Lord. Bless the Lord, all of his angels, of his great strength to do his word, obedient to his command. Bless the Lord, all his armies, his servants who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places where he rules. And down again, my soul. Bless the Lord. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, praise you, bless you. God, I've, I've, all this time we've been sitting here talking about you and we, we just are barely scratching the surface. We could talk about you for eternity and we'll still have just scratched the surface of how faithful and good and loving you are. God, stir us up to praise you. Pray that this praise would be more than just skin deep. 
but it would go down to the, our inner selves that we would praise you and bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.